Our gospel for this evening, Christmas Eve, comes from Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the dwelling. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The word of the Lord. On this special night, may the grace and peace of our Savior be yours. Amen. When I was in high school, college, my formative years, I went to a lot of movies. Now at that time, rarely would a week go by that I didn't take in at least one. And since I watched a lot of movies, I also watched a lot of previews. Now, I loved it at that time. It was one of my favorite parts of the experience in those days to see the small piece of an upcoming movie, to get that sense of wonder and anticipation about something that's coming your way in the future. Now, there was one in particular that I can remember really well. It showed up in late 1996 opened with an image of a small, square, boxy television set placed in the middle of a large theater screen. And if you looked on that small screen, there was images of a space battle playing out. And a voiceover told us, for a generation, this has been the only way to watch Star Wars. And with that, you see an X-wing fighter that's flying straight at the screen. And then you hear, until now. And that X-wing comes through the TV screen, straight at you, eventually filling the entire large, giant theater screen. This was how they announced the special edition theater release of the original Star Wars trilogy. And I was ecstatic. All three of the original movies had come out in theaters by the time I was five. And so I was part of that generation who had only seen them on television. 
And then the excitement of being able to sit in the theater a few months later and to see that blue text that tells us at the beginning, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, followed by a second of dark silence before the giant Star Wars emblem flashes across the screen in the same instant that that amazing musical Star Wars fanfare begins. It was just thrilling. A couple of years after that, beginning in 1999, it happened again. And this time, when they began releasing the prequel trilogy, episodes one, two, and three, I was able to sit in the theater and have that same excitement and thrill to know I was seeing part of a larger and familiar story and yet experiencing a new unknown chapter. Fast forward to 2015 and it happened again with the release of episode seven, The Force Awakens. And that time I was able to sit next to my son for his first experience of Star Wars in the theater. And finally, this past weekend, just a couple of days ago, in what has been billed as the final chapter in the Skywalker saga, episode nine, sure enough, as I sat there in that brief second of quiet and dark, and then I felt that thrill as Star Wars along with the music. And I don't know if it was nostalgia or excitement or anticipation or maybe a mixture of all three, but I know I had a big old grin on my face as we entered back into this familiar larger story and maybe for the last time to be able to experience something new. It occurs to me that through 42 years of Star Wars, the way that we continue to revisit that larger story as we connect with that which is familiar, as we share it with new generations and even those moments of anticipation for something new, it seems that this whole thing has a lot in common with the sense that perhaps we are bringing with us into worship tonight. Christmas, such a vitally important part of our church year such a vital aspect of the overarching story of whatever it is that God is up to in our reality. Tonight is one in which we join together in the familiar to celebrate something that is worth remembering. Some of us bring many years of experience here tonight. We bring a sense of tradition. We bring our memories of years past and what is in our minds the perfect Christmas conditions. Some might be here for the very first time, for the first time hearing this story and experiencing this worship with new eyes. For some, as you sit out there, events have happened in the past year that give you a new perspective. You're bringing something new here to worship tonight. And because of that, whatever it is, whether it is good or bad or otherwise, this night now feels different. And with that, you are hearing the same old story in a new way. And this is a truth that we all bring into our lives of faith. Our existence shapes our experience of the scriptures and it shapes our experience of worship and tradition. Our lives to this point shape how we experience the divine. It seems to me that this is also the case for the individuals involved within the Christmas narrative within the story of the nativity, the story of Jesus' birth. So let's think about the different people that we have heard about. First of all, we hear about a couple of bigwigs in the historical and the political realm. Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor. Quirinius, the Syrian governor who oversees the area we know now as the Holy Land. Two important people, though beyond a name drop and an order given for a Roman census, we never hear from them again. 
Isn't that strange? Logic would say that these two would play a much larger part in this reality-altering moment. But beyond the census, given the Holy Family a reason to be in Bethlehem, these two play no other part. And maybe from that we see that God really doesn't put a whole lot of stock in status or political power. Who else do we hear about? Well, of course, we have Mary and Joseph. They have followed the rules. They have headed off to be registered. And because of that, they're in a tough spot. As we hear in the story, the time comes for Mary to have her baby because those two political bigwigs don't give a hoot about the biological system or situation, I should say, of these commoners from backwater Palestine. And biology doesn't care that they're gone, that they are away from home, that they are in a strange city surrounded by strangers in the dwelling of some random house. I can only imagine that Mary is scared out of her mind. Not only is she in unfamiliar surroundings, but she is about to go through labor and birth for the first time in her life. And keep in mind, she is a girl who's like 13 or 14 years old. Yes, the angel of the Lord had shown up and relayed this whole deal to her about nine months before this, but now she's in the midst of it. Joseph is there too, and though we don't hear much for him, I imagine he's stressing out as well. But in the end, the baby is born. They wrap him up, they lay him in a manger, Now, I want you to take any expectations you have of a barn connected to a hotel and kick that out of your minds. What actually happened would have been a normal aspect of the structure of houses in those days. Everyone had a corner where you'd keep your animals in cold winter. And you also had a manger there to feed your animals in that time. And so lacking any other available space in this dwelling, that's where they laid the baby. We have one more batch of people to consider. The shepherds. A ratty, stinky batch of guys hanging around outside of town. Pretty much the lowest of the low from any social standpoint. They are the polar opposites of those first two individuals that we heard about in the emperor and the governor. And yet, these shifty characters are the ones with the dynamic, downright shocking part to play in this story. It's nighttime. Their flocks are bedded down. And while they were keeping watch, I imagine there was not a great deal happening in this moment. That guy over there, totally nodding off. Suddenly, out of nowhere, brightness, divine glory, booming angelic voices surround them. This might as well have been their early Star Wars fanfare moment. And with that, they are given this divine message. Born to you this day, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. With the announcement, a heavenly choir shows up. It adds to the whole experience. But then just as quickly as it begins, it's over. The angels depart from them and the shepherds kind of blink at each other for a moment before deciding, well, what do you think? Let's go check it out. And so they do. And they find the baby laying there just like the angel said they would. And they share the divine news that was given to them. And then they haul off. They're still praising God. They're telling everyone they encounter, which is great. Joseph's now over here in the corner doing who knows what. And Mary, we hear that she listens to all this stuff and sort of just takes it all in and then she treasures it. Whatever that means. Different people, all of whom are bringing their own perspectives, their own experiences into this divine moment in history. And that shapes how they experience this divine encounter. And you know what? The same is true for us. Consider what has happened. Consider what we profess to be true. Consider what we gather here to celebrate every single year. The divine creator of everything, God, 
the one who is ultimately bigger, larger, grander, greater, whatever you want to say, the one who is completely and utterly more than we are, through the power of the divine Holy Spirit, which is still the same God, but is also somehow different, that Spirit of God somehow has now begotten a baby into the womb of a very young woman, a baby who is somehow both human and divine, a baby who is the Son of God and yet is also God. This truth which we profess, this concept of one God in three persons, defies all logic. And when we bump into things like that, these things that we can't understand, we tend to default to calling it a divine mystery, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it sure doesn't explain much, does it? This is a concept that comes up every single year in confirmation class, and this year's class really grabbed onto this line of questioning, and it kind of goes like this. Wait, so Jesus is God? Yes. But Jesus prays to God, right? Yes. And Jesus called God his Father, right? Yes. So Jesus is his own dad? Mind blown. Don't get me wrong. I don't bring this up to poke fun. I love that our young people are thinking about this and that they're wrestling with it because it doesn't make any sense, does it? And yet that's the gospel. That we have a God who desires to be with us so much that this divine entity would become one of us and dwell among us. And not only that, but then in order to somehow overcome every aspect of this broken reality that hinders our relationship with God and with one another, this same divine made flesh would grow up he would spend three years embodying this freedom from what hinders us as he heals and teaches and raises the dead and constantly reaches across the margins to those who've been pushed to the outside. But then when the powers of this world push back against this new thing that God's bringing into this world, his body is broken and his blood gets poured out. And in the midst of it, he promises us that whatever's going on in that moment is for you. We will remember that. We will celebrate that tonight as well. Even though we don't understand it, even though it's a mystery on how or why it works. People of God, it is my great joy to stand up before you when we gather for worship, and especially in times like this one, when we gather specifically for the purpose of remembering the action that God takes in our reality. It is my joy to speak about these divine mysteries of our faith, these mysteries of things we cannot explain. But in the midst of that, to be able to share the truth and the promise that whatever it is that God is up to, it is for you. This is a promise that we hear tonight. It's spoken by the angel to the shepherds. This is good news of great joy, and it is for all people, even if we don't understand it. The birth of Christ, which we celebrate tonight, which we remember tonight, it happened a long, long time ago, somewhere far, far away, but it is still for you. And just like the shepherds, you are now invited to go forth from this place, from this experience, glorifying God and telling all who you encounter about this mysterious thing that God has somehow done. This is the promise of the gospel that it is for you, but it's also the challenge of the gospel that now you are empowered by the same spirit to carry this good news out in the world that is so desperate for it, a world so desperate for news of joy and love. 
I got to reference Star Wars one more time. Not the brand new one. That's spoilers and that's not cool. But episode eight that came out two years ago. There's a line in that particular film that I believe embodies the mystery of what God is up to in our reality. The mystery of the divine love for this world. This is how we win. Not by fighting what we hate, but by saving what we love. I don't know how it works, but I profess to you this is what Jesus has done. Amen.